Welcome to the podcast of Azel Christian Church. We are a Disciples of Christ Church community in Azel, Texas. We invite everyone to be who you are with us, the doubting, the believing, the wondering, and everything in between. On this podcast, you'll hear our pastor, Reverend Ashley Dargai, preach on how the expansive and generative love of God is seen through Jesus, the prophets, the early church, and the faith forebears, and how this love helps us care for the world more deeply and faithfully. Sometimes it's messy and tough, but it's good news, and it is for you. Our scripture for this morning is from Luke 4, 1 through 13, and it's on the back of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, well, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You will worship the Most High God. God alone will you adore. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, God will tell the angels to take care of you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We began Lent this past Wednesday as we brushed our foreheads with ashes and turned our hearts toward a posture of repentance. This holy season is marked by contrition and humility. Each Lent, we empty ourselves of pride, of neglect, of apathy, of hostility, of all the things that keep us from God as we move toward the cross. And traditionally, this is done by clearing out space in our lives, either by giving something up or adopting a spiritual practice. And each year through this practice, we consider what it means that we are small and mortal and vulnerable. Our series for Lent is called Full to the Brim, an Expansive Lent And it's meant to be a subversive shift of what we usually think of Lent. The premise is that our emptying out is not for emptiness's sake, not to be hollowed out bowls with nothing but cobwebs inside, but rather the point is that we empty ourselves so that we may be filled with God's lavish love and ineffable grace. And Lent is a different holy season than Advent in that rather than anticipating an arrival, we are preparing for a death. Rather than lighting candles to fill the room with warmth, we extinguish them to allow for the shadows. Rather than preparing gifts and songs for our coming king, 
we are preparing spices and oils for his body for burial. We clear away all that keeps us from facing the reality that is the cross, like shoveling snow out of our driveway or clearing brush off the road. We are making the path clear for us to return to God. And because of the themes of Lent, it seems rather appropriate that we begin today with Jesus's time in the desert. Now, this story is classic spiritual formation stuff. 40 days, being led into the desert, temptation. These are literary signals to people familiar with the Hebrew scriptures. Just as we hear once upon a time or a priest and a rabbi walk into a bar, we know what kind of story we're getting. And the people who received this temptation story know what to expect by the way the story is set up. So for example, 40 days does not necessarily mean 40 days. It simply means a long time. We see 40 show up in other places in scripture. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights on the ark. The Israelites wandered the desert for 40 years. Was this an exact calculation? Probably not. But the point is made. It's a long time. And then we have the wilderness, a place of temptation, a questioning of isolation. And if you're thinking about the Israelites wandering the desert, eating manna, and complaining when you think about the wilderness, then your brain is going to the right place. The gospel writers are trying to show that Jesus was not forming some new disruptive religious cult. But what he's doing is very old and has ancient roots. What God did out in the desert all those years ago, shaping a people, kneading out the muscle memory of enslavement, and establishing a new covenant-based identity, that has something to do with what God is doing in the wilderness right now with Jesus. Except, well, God doesn't show up in the story. The devil does. And that's another literary clue. Rather than thinking about the devil as some red-tailed arch-nemesis of Jesus, we can see his function as a confronter, offering an alternative way of life. And like the devil so often does, he makes some good points. Hear me out. The first temptation, turning a stone to bread. Is that so bad? Like for a guy who turns water to wine... Wouldn't it be handy to make stones, which are everywhere, into loaves of bread for the impoverished multitude around him? I mean, if Jesus can turn stone into sourdough, surely he can make it happen for others. And what about the second temptation? Considering that we understand Jesus to have some idea about his coming fate and what he's doing here on earth, wouldn't it be helpful to have the command of all the kingdoms of the world? I mean, will be killed by one such kingdom in a not-so-distant future. And with this option from the devil, he can just bypass bureaucratic choreography and get everybody on the same page in an instant. And this third temptation, God will keep Jesus safe because God loves him. Without raising your hand, how many of us believe this on some level? Or if we don't believe it now, we've believed some version of it at some point. Or we know people who believe this. 
that if we are beloved by God, which we supposedly are, then God will keep us safe. Safe from physical and emotional harm, safe from frailty and disease, safe from accident and incident, safe from death. If we just have faith, then things will turn out all right. That sounds really great. I'd love it if that were true. But I think we all understand it's not. I mean, given what we've seen in the past two years, in the past two weeks, we know that being beloved by God has nothing to do with safety. So in a lot of ways, maybe it's just me, the devil is proposing a more enticing religion than Jesus. Now, I'm not worried about being smited, smote, but I do feel a little prickly admitting that on a primal level, I like what the devil is selling better. It makes me feel strong and secure. But then there's another part of me that finds Jesus' response intriguing. I mean, he had just spent a long time in the desert. He was hungry. He was lonely. He was grimy. He had blisters on his feet and sand in his loins. The desert is not really a place that one goes to be entertained and empowered. It's not even a place one goes to hear from God because the desert says nothing. It just lies there like a bare skeleton with a single tumbleweed rolling across the horizon. It's sparse and austere. It's motionless and silent. You can only be satisfied in the desert by giving up what you're trying to comprehend. It's like becoming disoriented is the point. Like losing control is the point. That doesn't sound like a fun time. And I'm not trying to be flippant here or paint the devil as a mischievous being trying to get Jesus to eat some ice cream or max out his screen time. What I mean is that in the devil's economy, unmet desire is a mistake. It's unnecessary. Rather than part of being human, not getting what we want is unacceptable and must be fixed immediately. I mean, the devil points at a part of creation, a part of the landscape, and immediately turns it into an object that he can exploit and possess and consume. And by denying the hunger Jesus feels as a part of being human, he denies incarnation, the most miraculous gift of all. And the devil also shows Jesus, in an instant, all the kingdoms he could possess unfettered power if he just buys into the life of exploitation. But the fact that he can show the kingdoms in an instant gives us a clue at how temporal kingdoms can be. Empires rise and empires fall. And Jesus will be lifted up one day. That's true. But it won't be on a throne. It'll be on a cross. And then, of course, the promise of safety that somehow Jesus can leverage his own belovedness into an impenetrable shield. 
but we know that God's precious ones still bleed, still ache, still die. Because being loved by God means we are loved in our vulnerability, not out of it. This life the devil offers sounds so good compared to our present reality. And I can't imagine how it sounds when the world feels desolate. Except, well, maybe I can. Wars and rumors of wars, pestilence and famine. Sounds like it's out of the ancient scriptures, but it's right out of our headlines. I mean, maybe we know a little bit more about wilderness than we let on. We know what it's like to be lonely to be hungry for the comforts of yesterday, to feel like the whole landscape has changed underneath our feet. And I have to imagine that on some level, we are all itching to get out of this wilderness. That perhaps we feel like it's a mistake or a judgment or an anomaly. But this is not how the world is supposed to work. This is not what life is supposed to be. And we are told by the devil, by our culture, media, capitalism, whatever, even some of our political and religious leaders, that the only way for us to proceed is to just not be in the wilderness anymore. Whether that means pillaging creation for our production and consumption or aligning ourselves with power and might at any cost, or buying into the lie that immortality and invincibility can be ours with just one more purchase, or one more eye cream, or one more superfood, or one more addition to our 401k, or one more weapon, or one more barrier, ad nauseum. But here's the deal. These ethical dilemmas Jesus is offered in this old, old story are evergreen. They are offered to us every day because the wilderness seems to be no place for God, no place for hope. And lots of money and time are spent trying to convince us that it's unnatural to live in a place like this. But did you know one-fifth of the Earth's land mass is desert. Over a billion people, that's one-seventh of the world's population, live in desert lands. Communities have existed in deserts for as long as communities have existed. People have made their home in the wilderness and found life and love, and meaning, not as a temporary place to stay, but as their home. Now, the wilderness may lack babbling brooks and thick forests and forms of habitation that we might come to expect, but people who trust in the desert as their home delight in this quality of simplicity. The desert imagination thrives on the absence of what others consider essential. It revels in negation, a 
attending to what is unseen and what can't be proven. And though it provides few comforting assurances, it is still a place where people can flourish. It is still a place where hope can be found, where meaning can be cultivated. It can even provide a home to a life that has been displaced by wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and famine. I wonder if our own wilderness journey today is not about getting out of the desert. I wonder if our call in this desolate time, in a world that feels increasingly uninhabitable, is to make ourselves at home. Rather than trying to find a way out, or to bring things back that once gave us comfort, or to worship what we consider normal, what if our call here today is to learn from those who know what it's like to live here in the wilderness? What if we cultivated a little desert imagination? What if we are meant to adjust our vision so that as we look at an endless geography of sand, we don't see a barren landscape, but rather an invitation to find God here, too? I mean, sure, our ways of living will be different. The things that sustain us will require new rhythms and new skills. Our daily habits will have to adjust and respond to the harshness of the elements. And even the way we clothe ourselves and make our places of rest and work will change to accommodate this new terrain. But we can make a home here. We can find hope. We can find meaning. We can find God. We can flourish here too. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Azel Christian Church podcast. Azel Christian Church exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through meaningful liturgy during worship, a public witness through outreach in the community, the nurturing of the spiritual life of every age group, and the witness of each member through discipleship, baptism, and the sharing of resources. To support this podcast and the ministries of Azel Christian Church, visit azelchristianchurch.org. Here you can contribute through giving online or find our Venmo information. If you're looking for a church or simply want to talk to one of our ministers, contact us through our website and we will be in touch. Talk to you soon.